This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Uh, let's take a look at our plans. We've heard a lot of very interesting ideas, a lot of variations on how the Mets can build this offseason. Let's hear what we have in mind. Pete, do you want to kick it off with the Pete Hoffman offseason plan? I would love to because there, there was something that came out this week and that really threw me for a um, a loop here because I've always been hell-bent that Alonzo needs to be a lifelong Met. I think that you can't replace the numbers he puts up on a regular basis. And one thing that the Mets need continuously, like I've been saying, it, is, is another bat on top of it. So to just get rid of Alonzo's power would be – a detriment. So the first thing is Pete Alonso is going to sign an extension. If it's not this year, he will come back. But regardless, he's going to be on this team. So he's not getting traded. He's here. Second base is Mauricio. So that means McNeil is going to get traded away. I am going to trade McNeil and Narvaez in a package deal somewhere. Look for somebody else because I think Narvaez is a good catcher. He could start on some teams. He's not needed on this team, and I have a backup for you. We'll get to there in a second. Um, but McNeil Navarez, I I am a hundred percent on getting bullpen. And I was talking about the the Bednar trade before Holderman, somebody else. To, you know what? Not for nothing. I know he didn't have the best season towards the tail end, but somebody that we need, we need bullpen arms, and I think McNeil Navarez can bring back a few of them. So if you look around the league, I think that's a way to go. As far as pitching goes. Here's where it's going to get a little tricky because I don't know if you're going to be able to get keep Alonzo and keep, sign Yamamoto and Otani. It's one or the other. And to me, if I have to choose, I'm going to go Otani over Yamamoto. That means Yamamoto's not a Met next year, and I'm okay with that. I'll tell you why. Otani brings the offense. Otani is going to bring that extra piece to the offense that we've been missing. Okay. You'll fill the rotation in with Gray. You'll fill the rotation in with Trevor Bauer. And I'm sure we're going to sign one other low-end pitcher as well. Because you're going to need to. It's, it's just, it's, it is what it is. And Yamamoto, so, the, so the ace of the staff is going to be next year. Senga, Gray is going to be your two guy. Bauer and or uh, there's some other names out there. You, you talked about Kyle Gibson, somebody. I think that's another guy you could bring in too. Quintana's going to be back. So the rotation will be fine. It's not going to be the best, but again, short-term contracts. The reason why I'm going Otani is because the power that we're talking about. In the outfield, 
I think we're going to go more defensive minded rather than going to go for the adding the offense. Outfield, Nimmo, we talked about not being center field for long. You're bringing back fam. And you're also signing Harrison Bader. Those two guys are going to be part of a four-team, four-player combo of Nimmo, Marte, as much as we possibly can get out of him, Bader and Fam. Bader, I know his injuries were terrible, but you'll get a cheap deal out of him again. And, and again, I'm not sitting here saying, let's, let's go low-end contracts, but really, there's no prolific hitter offensively out there in the outfield that's going to come to this team of free agency. There's just none. You look through it. There's very minimal guys. So go for guys who are more defensive-minded. The Kiermeyers are fine, but Kiermeyers a little bit older. I, I think that Bader is due for a bounce back, maybe a one-year deal. That's fine. That's all we're looking for. Um, and then as far as shortstop, is going to be Lindor, obviously. Yeah, you, br- you bring Beatty and Vientos to, to fight it out for third base, and you'll bring a backup uh, catcher. Now, here's the one thing is, if we miss out on Otani, this is where you bring Yamamoto in and your DH for next year slash catcher, Mitch Garver. Mitch Garver. Okay. Mitch Garver. Dude, the guy had almost 20 home runs last year. Uh, he played majority DH. So you have that wiggle room with Alvarez and Garver. Both can switch back and forth. And then you get a Jock Peterson, like you said, too, to, to, to fill out the, the lefty-righty DH if you want to. There's tons to play with there. It's not as complex. It's not as sexy. But I think Otani is the play over Yamamoto, even though he's youthful. I just think he brings both. If you can give, if you can tell me that Otani is going to give you four out of ten years, because he's going to start a ten-year deal, four to ten years, he could pitch four years, I'll take that deal. Yeah, I... I think Otani is worth the risk. I do. And it's going to be a mega contract. It's going to be a contract like we've never seen before. But I think that the risk reward is there for him because I look at it this way with him. The risk is he never pitches. The risk is he can't do both. And what you get, I assume, is still a prolific left-handed slugger. So, yeah, you'll get a left-handed slugger who's vastly overpaid because you're technically paying him to do two things, but he's only able to do one thing. But what we've seen from Otani offensively over the last couple of years is he's getting better and better and better to the point where last year, just as an offensive player, he was like a left-handed Aaron Judge. And part of why I favor him over Soto when we were doing the whole Otani versus Soto pod is that I got one guy trending this way in Otani, I'm pointing up, and another guy trending this way in Soto, who's more towards the middle, towards down, especially compared to the early part of his career. So if you've got a guy that could potentially do both, and I I get it, the word is now potential because he's not going to pitch in 2024, the reward is insane. Like If he's what he was, Oh my God, it's a steal. You could pay him $60 million a year. That's a steal. But the negative is he doesn't pitch and he's still a big time slugger and he still changes your lineup in such an incredible way, especially when you think about who the DH has been over the last couple of seasons. So look, my offseason plan starts off this way. It's very similar to what Pete said and to what a lot of people have said. I'm big game hunting. I'm big game hunting for Shohei Otani and Yamamoto. Doesn't mean I'm going to get both of those guys. Doesn't mean I'm going to get either guy. Like my confidence level on signing Otani is not through the roof. My confidence level on Yamamoto is somewhere in the middle. 
I know they're hot for him. I know they're going to offer him a big contract, but I keep in the back of my mind that Yamamoto may not want to be a Met for some of the reasons we allowed at earlier. So I go after both of those guys because I think both of those guys fit the timeline of the Mets competing in 24, but being really good in 25, 26, 27. In the case of Otani, he's not pitching this year, but the plan is for him to pitch in 25, 26, 27. In Yamamoto's case, it's the age. So I just start off with you and basically everybody else, and it's obvious those are the two guys I'm targeting the most. I understand it. I mean, I get both guys. And if I don't get either guy, you've got to pivot. So here's the way I'd build the rest of this rotation. I want a top-line guy. I want a high-reward guy who may be coming off a bad year. And then I want someone who can just give me innings. So I've mentioned this before. Kyle Gibson is the guy who can give me innings. The two guys that fit the high-reward area is Jack Flaherty and Luis Severino. Jack Flaherty is still young. He's still under 30. The problem with Jack is he just hasn't been great, and he hasn't been reliable. Like last year, he was traded to the Baltimore Orioles, and it just didn't happen. Like he pitched to a 6 ERA, so it's not as if getting traded to Baltimore and being in a new location for the first time in his career really did anything. He made seven starts. He pitched to a 6-7 ERA. Jack Flaherty has not pitched a full season and been effective since 2019 when he was 23 years old. But you never know. But there's that hope. But there's that maybe he can stay healthy for a full season. Maybe at age 28, because he's only 28 years old. This is his age 28 season. And his age and what he did four years ago, for me, is enough to still be, hey, you never know. And Luis Severino is the same thing. Now, can you sign both and stock up on a rotation of, hey, these guys haven't done it in a while, but you never know? No. I have one spot assigned for that. So, again, Kyle Gibson, Yamamoto, and either Jack Flaherty and Luis Severino, and I've just put together a five-man rotation along with Jose Quintana and Kodai Senga. If they fail on Yamamoto, the Bieber-Burns trade ideas I explore, but like I said earlier, I don't want to give up top prospects. If if it's a Jeff McNeil-esque kind of deal, and I don't think that's necessarily going to be the case for Milwaukee, maybe it's a little bit more likelier for Cleveland, where they say, hey, look, we're still trying to win. We know we can't sign Bieber, but we're still trying to win, that I think McNeil could be appealing, but it would cost more. Some of the other reliable arms I was thinking about, if I can't get um, Kyle Gibson, kind of fit that mold. Michael Waka, we just have to forget what he did for us in 2020. But Michael Waka on like a three-year, $36 million deal. And Kenta Maeda on a short-term deal as well. Those are some of the arms I'd look at, but I think they need three arms. If it's not Yamamoto and you're not trading for Burns and Bieber, I become even more hot for Dylan Cease, who we talked about earlier. Three starters to fill out this rotation. Those are the names. Those are my top options, and those are the guys I pivot to. As far as the bullpen is concerned, I agree with most people who say bring in David Robertson. Matt Moore as the left-hander to add to Brooks Rally is another guy. Reynaldo Lopez, who did not have a great year for the White Sox, but has a live arm. He's a guy I would take a flyer on to finish out this bullpen. I am not throwing big money at Josh Hader. Now let's get to the lineup, because the lineup part is 
it's interesting because I think we've almost forgotten about it because we've talked so much about starting pitching and how important starting pitching is. I think they need to add an outfielder or two. So where do you go? Pete Hoffman, I give you a lot of credit. There's a name I wrote down, and I hadn't heard his name mentioned. So I was all excited. Like, I'm going to present the name that no one's talked about. And you talked about him, and you nailed it. And that's Harrison Bader. Harrison Bader makes so much sense for the New York Mets for a few reasons. Number one, getting to watch him with the Yankees gave me a fair and full respect for how he plays center field. He is a brilliant defensive center fielder. He moves to the baseball in a way that almost doesn't look human. He gets such great jumps off the ball. So defensively, you are supplying yourself with a major upgrade. And Brandon Nimmo, fine in left field. The negative of Harrison Bader, because there are negatives. I don't want to act like this is some kind of steal. There's a reason why you're going to get him on a short-term deal not making a lot of money. Is A, he's never healthy. B, he's not a great offensive player. And I, I acknowledge that. But I think when filling out the outfield. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And looking at guys who are going to play out there, I put an emphasis on defense and I put an emphasis on, I don't want to be, I don't want to be locked in with any of these guys long-term. Like any of the outfielders I look at, I want on short-term deals. I want them here for a year. Help me out. If things go well, great. If things don't go well, I trade them at the deadline and we move the hell on. And I would think that Bader is only going to be able to get a short-term contract. That'd be my guess. I love the fact that I've improved defensively. I like the fact that he's a right-handed bat. And the reason I like that fact that he's a right-handed bat is because the other outfielder I want to add is another guy we've talked about, and that's Jock Peterson. Jock Peterson is not coming off a good year. That's good. That's a good thing. It's a good thing because he's coming off a one-year $19 million deal, and he didn't have a great year. So what the hell is he getting now? He's not getting a two, three-year deal. I like adding Jock Peterson. If you add Jock Peterson and Harrison Bader on one-year deals, you have now given yourself a little bit of left-handed pop with Jock. You've improved yourself defensively with Bader, and you've protected yourself because Starling Marte is no sure thing to A, be good, and B, stay healthy. The other thing that's important is I'm keeping DJ Stewart around. It's only $2 million. Maybe he builds off of what we saw for a few months last year. And I throw him in the mix. He's just in the mix. He's not guaranteed an everyday job. But is he on the roster next year? Yeah. I thought he did enough at the end of 2023 for me to say, all right, that guy, that's on my roster. Now, I've gotten rid of Daniel Vogelback. He's gone. As far as DH is concerned, so here's the way I look at DH. There are a couple of bats I'm intrigued by that would come in as a can play first base to give Pete a break and also be a DH option. Number one is Rowdy Telez, who's available and has a connection to David Stearns. The other guy is Reese Hoskins. Reese Hoskins is such a great bounce-back candidate coming off that injury. The Phillies have essentially declared he's gone. 
by the idea that Bryce Harper is an everyday first baseman. So getting Reese to stay in the NL East as this right-handed slugger that you could stick behind Pete Alonso to protect him. Who cares if they're both right-handed? Seriously, they need to protect Pete Alonso. Doesn't have to be a left-handed hitter. It's just got to be somebody who can protect him. Somebody who's a capable hitter. So Hoskins and Terlez are two guys I'm looking at to kind of fill the DH hole. But here's the caveat to all of this. If you sign a capable third baseman on a one-year deal, what that does is not only solidifies third base for a short term, but now I view DH very differently. Now, Beatty, Mauricio, DH options, as opposed to battling for third base. David Stearns made it seem, hey, I'm open to a competition at third base between Brett Beatty and Ronnie Mauricio. And if that's the case, I'm good with it. Go at a DH. But if you add Justin Turner to play third base on a one-year deal, and Justin Turner still has something left, man. He had a pretty good year last year for Boston. He'll hit you 280. He'll give you an 800 OPS. He'll miss a few games due to injury. He'll hit 15 to 20 home runs. He'll be okay at third base. He'll be passable at third base. And he can also DH too. But if you add Justin Turner to play third base, now you could say to Brett Beatty, you know what, kid, just freaking hit. You're the left-handed DH. Just go freaking hit. You might play some third base, but just go hit. Ronnie Mauricio can DH and then also fill in at third base, fill in at shortstop when Lindor needs a day, fill in at second base. I don't know about filling in the outfield because it doesn't seem like they're that hot for that. So it doesn't have to be Reese Hoskins. It doesn't have to be Rowdy Telez. J.D. Martinez, I'm only doing on a one-year deal. And I do not have faith he's going to have the kind of year he had last year. In fact, all these guys are one-year deals. Like every single bat I'm talking about, Turner, Telez, Hoskins, Jock Peterson, Harrison Bader, it's all short-term. It's all, I'm just filling the void until my prospects are ready. But I'm very intrigued by Reese Hoskins. You get him on a one-year deal, he could match 35, 40 home runs in this lineup, and then you pat him on the ass and say goodbye. And you say, thank you for your time. That's my off-season plan. You like my off-season plan, Pete? I do. I do. Um, I love the Bader, actually. That I mean, like we talked about that. That, I think, is a significant upgrade, especially defensively, because we talked about Nimmo took a step back last year defensively. Um, question to you, the one thing you, you mentioned about third base. Like, if it's not Turner, and I and I don't like him, and I don't want him, but people mentioned Matt Chapman. Is I don't think you're getting him on a one-year deal. But again, he didn't do enough last year to to warrant this huge contract. This you're not going to get him on a huge no. deal like a and ten-year deal. So would that be someone that you bring no. in because he definitely secures the defense? Matt Chapman is an utterly brilliant defensive third baseman. I want to make that clear before I rip the before I rip him to shreds because he is he's a great defensive third baseman. He's not a great hitter. And there's no way in hell he's signing a one-year deal. He's signing a five-year, $90 million contract, and I want nothing to do with it. I I think offensively, because of all the prospects they have on the horizon, and by horizon, I mean a year or two. I mean, soon, they have a lot of pieces coming up. Jet Williams is thinking and is at least saying, I'm going to be in the major leagues before 2024 is done. I don't know if I agree with him, but it's a great incentive to have that Jet Williams feels that way, Luis Angel Acuna is not far. He's not far at all. Uh, they have so many young bats on the horizon that unless you're a superstar, 
unless you're a game changer, I do not want to be locked in long-term with you. And that's why I mention a lot of these names. Like Jimmer Candelario is another guy. Look, he's going to sign a one-year deal. Fine. I don't know if he is, by the way. And if he's not, then go somewhere else. But I want all of these guys on short-term deals because they already have Lindor signed long-term, Nimmo signed long-term, McNeil and Marte relatively long-term, not as long-term as the other two. We'll see about Pete. And I got all these guys coming up. I I don't need to be locked in long-term. Again, unless it's a game-changer. And when you look at the free agents offensively, Otani's different. Just put him aside. He's a DH pitcher. Like, he's something He's something else. There really isn't anybody out there I'd want to be married long-term to. So that's my rule of thumb when I'm adding these bats. All got to be one-year deals. Like, if Justin Turner, and he's not, but if Justin Turner's insisting on a three-year deal, no effing way. Then I'm not even talking about it. All right, so... I get that, and I'm I'm all for it. Question about the like, I have two more questions for you. Bench because you you talked about like you know DJ Stewart's getting the roster right. All right, that's fine. But you know, last year we had too many guys that were on the bench that just didn't do enough. There were these one one trick ponies and just didn't do enough. Stewart, I think, is more versatile than some others. But like, are you going to keep Stewart and Guillaume and Narvaez? And, I mean, Vogelbach stuff is not there, but, like, Rowdy Telez, if he's going to be on this team, you're talking about another guy who basically is, you know, a threat of pop, but it's more a threat than actuality. Well, I, how am I building the bench? I think that, obviously, Narvaez is there or another backup catcher is there. There's going to be somebody there who's a backup catcher who you're not going to love. Luis Guillorme is perfect because of just the versatility he has and the defense that he can play. You know, if I'm playing Justin Turner at third base, I do sign him to a short-term deal. I'm going to probably want to replace him defensively in the eighth inning when I have a couple of run lead. DJ Stewart, perfect bat off the bench. Don't poo-poo that. Like, DJ Stewart, if he can be 70% of what he was last year, and maybe he won't. You know, maybe he's not going to be anything. But he's definitely earned that right to be a bat off the bench. And then there's going to be somebody, because if my plan is laid out, maybe Harrison Bader's on the bench one day. Maybe Jock Peterson's on the bench one day where that's basically your bench, where that's how it's filled out. Uh, you've got four guys usually on your bench. So between DJ Stewart, Luis Guillorme, the backup catcher, and one of the outfielders I add not being in the lineup that day, that's your bench. Uh, I, I would love to have a speedster on the bench. I know Timmy LeCastro is no longer on the 40-man, but if they want to bring him back as the stolen base extraordinaire, I still want that. It's valuable, man. You could shake your head all you want. It's you don't va- want a it, guy coming off the bench stealing second base. No, it's valuable. But here's the thing is when you have a bench that just has these guys that all they do is one thing, that got us into issues. That's all that's all I'm saying. I don't disagree with you that you could have if you could have one guy who could do it all a little bit. Like if LaCastro had a little bit more pop and had the speed, that'd be great. That we don't need DJ Stewart. Or we don't need Tim. You can't have this one guy that all he could do is one thing. Needs to be a little bit more multi-dimensional. Not five tool. Give me at least two. I think what's really interesting about this exercise of my plan, your plan, all the emails we read, all the dignitaries we had. The real question is, what do we think is going to happen? You know, we we all have our plans, but how the hell does this off season go? 
if they don't end up with Yamamoto, it seems like it's a disaster to a lot of Mets fans. <laughs> well, if okay, how about this? If they don't get Yamamoto or Otani, I mean, it's a possibility. If you're talking about the Japanese culture that they don't want to go and tread on, on Senga's, uh, you know, territory, I mean, you're going to miss on both. And then what are they end? Well, it, the likeliest scenario is that they miss out on both, and that's not for an act of trying. That's just the reality. I mean, you're talking about two of the top free agents in all of Major League Baseball. The Mets may have the biggest offer on both guys. Doesn't mean both guys are going to come. And like I've said before about this, I think after those two, their targets are going to be a lot less. They're not going to then pivot to Aaron Nola. They're then not going to pivot to Blake Snell. I don't see it happening. So a lot of the smaller names we've talked about on this pod, whether it be starting pitching names, whether it be some of the offensive players' names. That's what we're looking at if they don't land the top fish. And also, how aggressive will they be in the trade market? In my opinion, I don't want to be that aggressive on guys on one-year deals. We'll see if David Stearns agrees or disagrees. But the Rico will be with you every step of the way, analyzing every move that happens and every move that doesn't happen. We do appreciate everyone who emailed. We apologize. We couldn't get to every email. We got a lot of them. But you can email us as the offseason goes on, and we'll try to read as many as we can at thericob at gmail.com, thericob at gmail.com. A lot of Ricos to get into, not just throughout Met history Ricos, but some of the current offseason agenda items, including a closer look at third base. Is it really going to be a competition between Brett Beatty and Ronnie Mauricio? Are there other options at third base besides the guys we just talked about? We'll get into that as the Rico rolls on and obviously react to everything that happens during this offseason. We appreciate you listening and downloading Rico Bronya. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. 